Now, folks, that's the argument that James puts forth. Gentiles have already been saved on the basis of faith alone, and this is in accord with what the prophets predicted, that God intends to save Gentiles the way he saved Cornelius, by grace, through faith, and not by any works of the law. And now that James has made his point, James, who was apparently the moderator, the chairman of the Jerusalem Council, he's ready to give his opinion and conviction as to what the council should do. And if you've been listening to previous episodes of Verse by Verse, I'm sure you have a pretty good idea what James was about to say. We'll find that decision in Acts chapter 15 as Pastor Steve Kreloff wraps up another message in this series about the church council in Jerusalem that answered once and for all the question of what is necessary for salvation. Hello and welcome. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is concluding his third message in this series. At this council, Peter started things off by reminding everyone there about the salvation of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius and his whole family. They weren't circumcised, yet they spoke in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit living in them, which can only happen to someone God has saved. That should have been enough to settle the issue right there. But then Paul and Barnabas chimed in with their account of the miracles that were happening as they ministered among the Gentiles. Listen now as Pastor Steve shares some insight on the importance of those miracles, and then we'll move on to what James had to say about Gentiles becoming God's people. Miracles were important because they confirmed that those who were speaking the gospel were God's messengers. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle. How do you know someone's a true apostle? Paul said, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. In other words, the miracles authenticated that Paul was a genuine apostle, a true representative of Jesus Christ. And therefore, what he preached was indeed God's word. And what did Paul and Barnabas preach to the Gentiles? What did they tell them? They preached that salvation was by faith alone in Christ. And that's the whole purpose of Barnabas and Paul telling the council about all the miracles God did through them in the midst of the Gentiles. It was to confirm that their message to the Gentiles of salvation by grace alone and not by law, that that was God's message. That's their point. And like Peter's arguments, the argument made by Paul and Barnabas was not only convincing, but it was irrefutable. I mean, how could anybody argue against this? They couldn't. And so after another period of silence, because there was no one who could bring a sensible rebuttal, Luke tells us about the third and the final speech given to the council. He tells us that a man by the name of James stood up, he took the floor, and he began to speak. Verse 13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. In the New Testament, there are a number of men with the name James. There's quite a few men named James. So the question is, who, who was this James? Well, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a son of Joseph and Mary. And he's the author of the New Testament letter, the back of the New Testament that bears his name. This is the man who wrote the letter called James. And James really was the perfect one to address the council, perfect one to lead them to make a decision. 
in this matter because not only was James highly respected because he was the brother of the Lord, but he was also held in great esteem by everyone in the church because of his reputation for godliness. In fact, he was given the nickname Old Camel Knees, and that was meant to be a compliment (laughs) because his knees were allegedly calloused just like those of a camel, from all the hours he spent on his knees in prayer. So old camel knees gets up, and he's going to speak. In addition, though, James was extremely Jewish in his orientation, being one of the primary leaders of the Jerusalem church and a man who had great concerns that Christians obey the moral laws of God. And we know that because as you go through his letter, the letter of James, he mentions the law, the moral absolutes of the law, about ten times. So, from the standpoint of those who held the view that Gentiles did need to be circumcised to be saved, they must have been thrilled when James got up to speak, because they must have thought, well, here's somebody on our side. Here's someone who's going to say what's right. But he wasn't on their side. And that becomes obvious. It becomes immediately evident by the first thing he says in verse 14. He says, Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, James begins his speech by wisely referring, notice, not to Paul who was, as the apostle of the Gentiles and the strongest proponent of salvation by faith alone, Paul was not on good terms with the Judaizers. They didn't like him. But he refers instead, very wisely, to Peter. Because Peter is the apostle to the Jewish people. And knowing his audience, strictly a Jewish audience, James purposely, note this, he calls him by the most Jewish form of his Jewish name, Simeon. Not even Simon. Simeon. That was his legal given name. Remember, the Lord gave him the the name Peter, which means rock or stone. But his Jewish name was Simeon. And he reminds them about what Simeon had said earlier to the council, how God had used him in the salvation of Gentiles. Now, he's referring to the conversion of Cornelius and his family years earlier. And the point, the point, and it's a brilliant point that James is making, is that those who advocate that Gentiles must be saved by observing the law, have overlooked one obvious fact that God has already saved Gentiles, and he did it by grace and not by law. In other words, the fact that God saved Cornelius and his family without them having to observe the Mosaic law first proves that Gentiles are saved by faith alone. It's already happened, guys, is what he's saying. Why are we even debating this? It's already taken place. God has already shown us in saving Cornelius that way. In addition to making this very obvious observation, at least obvious to him, not obvious to the stubborn men who saw otherwise, I want you to notice how James words the salvation of these Gentiles. If you're a Gentile believer in Christ, this is a precious truth for you. He refers to their salvation as God taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. Folks, this is very significant because these are similar words that the Old Testament often uses to describe Israel as the people of God. For example, in Deuteronomy 7, 6, we read, For you, speaking of Israel, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So by telling the council that God is now taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name, James is making it very clear that in addition to Jewish people, the people of God now encompass those Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, later in his letters, Paul is going to explain that in this day and age that the Lord is building his church, which consists of believing Jews and believing Gentiles in one body, the body of Christ becoming family. He will later explain that, especially in Ephesians chapters two and three. But for right now. James just wants everyone to understand that Gentiles are being saved and they are becoming God's people and it's happening by grace and not by law. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that God is through with Israel and the Jewish people. And I want to make sure you understand that. It certainly doesn't mean that God has replaced Israel with the church as some teach today. Paul devotes three chapters in the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10 and 11, to explain that God is not permanently cast Israel aside, that there is a glorious future in store for the Jewish people as God will fulfill all of his promises to them when at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, the nation will turn to Jesus as their Messiah. They will believe on him for salvation and they will enter the millennial kingdom that he will establish on earth upon his return. So what James says about Gentiles becoming the people of God, that doesn't mean that God is through with Israel. But what it does mean is that God's primary activity of saving people during this time period, which we call the church age, is that of calling out Gentiles for his name. In other words, while God certainly saves Jewish people these days, the vast majority of his saving work today is bringing Gentiles to himself. And if you're a Gentile who has trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are one of those recipients that God has chosen to bring to himself and make you part of his chosen people. This is exactly what Peter is referring to when he writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is calling out Gentiles for his name. You see, James has simply made an obvious point that the Judaizers had stubbornly Refuse to see the point being that God has already been saving Gentiles by faith. He's already been calling them out of darkness to be his people. He proved that with Cornelius. He's already done it. But what James does next is so important because he backs his assertion that God is now saving Gentiles like Cornelius and his family by faith by turning to the Old Testament scriptures for support. You always want biblical support for what you believe. And here's the support that James gives. Acts 15, 15 through 18. With this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after these things, I will return 
and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Now, this is a quote from the Old Testament prophet by the name of Amos, specifically Amos 9. Verses 11 and 12. But James, notice James says that all the Old Testament prophets are in agreement with with what Amos has said. It isn't just Amos. He's just chosen to quote from Amos. But he said all the prophets say the same thing. And what they say is that God is now doing just what Peter said. He did with Cornelius and his family when he saved them by faith. He's calling out Gentiles for salvation. And the gist of what Amos is predicting is that there would be coming a day in Israel's history when the temple, here referred to as the tabernacle, would fall along with David's kingly line. And that's exactly what did happen when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and David's dynasty collapsed. However, though the temple and David's line would be in ruins, Amos said that's not the end of things. It's not where it ends, because the prophecy is that these things will be restored, both the temple and David's kingly line. And that was fulfilled. It was fulfilled when the temple was rebuilt. And watch this. It was fulfilled when David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to earth so that David's kingly line was restored in Messiah. And with the resurrection of Christ and his subsequent exaltation as Lord, Christ's kingly reign would now extend beyond Israel to the Gentiles of the world. In other words, Gentiles will be part of God's people. That's the primary point of this prophecy. The Gentiles will be included as God's people. And this inclusion of Gentiles, says James, is exactly what Peter What Peter's just told us started, it began when Cornelius and his family were saved. And it continues today as the Gentiles of the world are coming to know the Lord. Now, the fact that the Old Testament predicted that the Gentiles would be saved and be part of God's community, that shouldn't have come as a surprise to the Jerusalem council. Nor should it be a surprise to us because at the very beginning of Jewish history, In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham to himself, he promised Abraham that the Gentiles of the world would be saved through one of his descendants, the Messiah. We read in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. Now watch this. And in you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, from Abraham's one special descendant, Jesus the Messiah, individuals from all the families, not just Jewish families, but all the families of the earth, meaning both Jewish and Gentile families, will be blessed with salvation. That's what he's saying. This is why 
it should not have come as a shock to anyone that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He meant Gentile sheep. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And now James says these other sheep, these Gentile sheep, they're coming. They're coming to Christ for salvation just as the prophets predicted and they are being saved the same way that Cornelius was saved by faith alone. Now, folks, that's the argument that James puts forth. Gentiles have already been saved on the basis of faith alone. And this is in accord with what the prophets predicted, that God intends to save Gentiles the way he saved Cornelius, by grace, through faith, and not by any works of the law. And now that James has made his point, James, who was apparently the moderator, the chairman of the Jerusalem Council. He's ready to give his opinion and conviction as to what the council should do. So he says in verse 19, Therefore, therefore meaning based on all of this, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. This is an extremely important statement. This is it. Because what James is declaring is that it is his judgment his conviction, his opinion that the Gentiles who are turning to Christ should not be troubled by those who say they need to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law for salvation. In other words, he's saying the same thing that Peter said. He's saying the same thing that Paul and Barnabas have stated, that Gentiles are saved by faith alone in Christ. Let's not trouble them anymore. So, folks, understand this. The issue about salvation is very clear. The most essential meaning of these verses is that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, have you placed your trust in Christ alone? This means that not only do you believe the facts about Christ as you read the Bible, not only is he a historical person to you, but have you actually trusted him for salvation? And what does that mean? True saving faith has three ingredients. Number one, there's repentance. Repentance means you see your sin and you hate it and you want to turn from it. And you do turn from it. You forsake it. Repentance means more than I change my mind. It means I do an about face. I see the hideousness of my sin. I see that I have offended a holy God. Now, you never initially see all of your sin. If you did, you'd have a heart attack. But God shows you your sin. He shows you that it's more than outward behavior. It's inward attitudes. It's lust and jealousy and selfish ambition and pride and all, the, and all those horrible things and so much more. He shows you that. And you say, I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live like that anymore. That's repentance. But it doesn't stop there. True saving faith means that not only do you turn from your sin but you turn from your sin to Jesus Christ and you put your confidence in him for your eternal destiny. That you believe that when he died on the cross, he was dying for your sins and your reliance is upon him and his death alone. Nothing you could do. That's the whole point of, of what we've been saying. That Christ, 
when he died on the cross, you believed that he was paying for all of your sins and you base your hope of going to heaven on him and his death alone. That's saving faith. But I will tell you that there's another element of true saving faith. This is not adding to faith. This is part of the nature of faith. Repentance, trust, but there must be an attitude, an attitude of submission to Christ as Lord. You can't come to Jesus and say, I think I'll take him as my savior, but I'm not submitting to his authority over my life. You cannot divide the person of Christ up and say, he's savior for me, Lord for some other people. In other words, you cannot say that I'll take him as my savior, but I'm not going to be a disciple of his. True saving faith has an element of I have gone my way all of my life. And I've messed it up with sin and rebellion. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm turning to Christ in an attitude of submission to who he is. And he is Lord and Savior. Now, this doesn't mean that everything in your life, that, that everything is all, I'm, all, I'm turning it all over to him right now. It means what you're aware of. Because every day he shows us new things. Every day he shows us new things that we need to submit to him on. But if you come to him with an attitude of, I'll take him as savior, but I'm not giving him my life. I'm not, I'm not submitting to him. That's not true salvation. It's not true genuine faith. So I say again, are you saved? Have you repented of your sin, turned to Christ, trusted him to be your savior with an attitude that says, I submit my life to you. If that's been true, then you are part of God's family. God has called you out from amongst the Gentiles and you few Jewish people here. He's called you out from amongst the Jewish people to come to Christ for salvation. But if you've never done that, I urge you before this day is over, turn to the savior. Trust him to be your personal savior. Father, we thank you indeed for the gospel. Lord, I do give thanks for the insight you gave to the Apostle Paul. It seems that he was the only one of all these great men who recognized the ramifications of this whole issue. And Lord, protect us as a church. Protect our elders as leaders of the church. Protect us from ever swerving from the gospel. May we say with the Apostle Paul, we determine to know nothing amongst you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ and his death alone for salvation. I pray for any here who have never turned to you. May you work in their hearts, show them their need, draw them to yourself, and may today be the day of their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I am glad that Jesus did all that is necessary for salvation. I recently saw a meme that said, Religion is like saying, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. But Christianity is like saying, I messed up, I need to call my dad. We have a Heavenly Father who has infinitely high standards, but He also loves to show mercy to us when we trust Him. It was a pleasure to have you with us today for Verse by Verse and the continuation of Pastor Steve Kreloff's series of studies from Acts chapter 15 about what is necessary for salvation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside by calling 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. You can also call Lakeside to ask for a free audio CD with the sermon Pastor Steve just finished. Message 63, The Jerusalem Council, Part 3. 
That phone number again is 727-441-1714. Or you can listen online to today's class or any of our previous broadcasts at versebyverseradio.org. Whether you stream them or download them, all of our audio files are free for you to enjoy. Go to the website and click the Message Archive link to find what you want. While Verse by Verse is always free for you to hear, it's not free for us to bring it to you, so we are very thankful for those generous listeners who make regular or occasional gifts to the ministry. If you've been blessed by Verse by Verse, I hope you'll consider visiting the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org, or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve ran out of time today before he could finish dealing with what the Apostle James had to say about Gentile believers and what is required for salvation. James had more Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom to impart, and we'll consider that on the next Verse by Verse as we move on to another message in this series about the Jerusalem Council. Jerusalem Council 